Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian Churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, Stated Clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. And thank you, Rachel Joseph, and thank you, everyone who is listening in again to another edition of In All Things. I'm grateful that you join us as we drop a new podcast every Friday on all of your favorite podcast sites and platforms. Could be Spotify, could be um, Apple, or you might just simply go to epc.org and look up our podcast there. And we're grateful that you've joined us and that you're sharing it with others and that the word is spreading because we want to be a blessing to you, your church, and the body of Christ as a whole as we consider all things under the lordship of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Today's edition is going to be a, a part two of a conversation that we started previously with Kent Matthews who serves on our Ministerial Vocations Committee. And Kent has been a businessman. He's been a pastor for a number of years. And in this season of his life, he finds himself um, really called to innovate around the areas of education, in particular about um, preparation for ministry, and has actually created a really uh, amazing resource called Heartland School for Ministry, which is an internationally accredited online seminary that can help at a very inexpensive cost equip people in some of the more under-resourced and difficult communities in terms of accessibility to classical seminary education and uh, really thinking through how do we train well pastors for the next generation of ministry. And so if you heard part one, you're probably intrigued about some of that. Part two today is going to go into a deeper dive conversation around the issue of how we do that with rural churches, particularly small rural churches. And you know that that uh, large churches and small churches, suburban churches and urban churches, rural churches, there's the, a cultural difference in all of those things. Uh, recently at a meeting of the moderators of all of our 16 presbyteries in the EPC, uh, we heard some of the challenges that they're facing. And one of the common threads across the board, across the country, was that our small churches, particularly our small rural churches, are really struggling to find pastoral leadership and accessibility to resources in terms of equipping and training for pastoral ministry. And so that that reoccurring theme is actually something that is not only a, a great need, um, not just in the EPC, but all across the United States and in all kind of settings, but it's one that Heartland School for Ministry our Ministerial Vacations Committee and Kent Matthews in particular have kind of drilled down on with the hope of trying to be able to to bring those kind of resources to bear in those places that are a little more challenging. So if that intrigues you, stay tuned for part two of that conversation with Kent Matthews today. Our conversation in all things today is actually brought to you by, uh, interestingly enough, uh, the EPC's Small Church Summit. The Small Church Summit is going to be gathering here in the Office of the General Assembly October 11th, 12th, and 13th, where about 40 people uh, from around the country, led by pastors of small churches, get together and look at the unique issues, problems, challenges, and opportunities in our small churches across the country. This is our first 
attempt at something like this. And there will be hopefully more resources in the future around how to strategically come alongside of and support our small churches. But I do ask you to join us in prayer. If nothing else, join us for prayer on October 11th, 12th, and 13th as uh, some of our small church leaders gather and come together to seek the Lord in how it is that we can best equip and care for uh, these important congregations in all of our communities. And you may not know, but the average size of a church in the United States is actually under 100 members. We pay most of our attention to large churches, churches with high profiles on uh, television or radio or social media, and yet the vast majority of people in the United States of America, and I would say this is also true around the world, gather in much smaller settings. In fact, we know from our church planners who are kind of the cutting edge of where the kingdom is breaking in in our communities that most of our church planners are planting intentionally smaller churches, not with the design of becoming mega churches, but with the design that when they hit a certain plateau, maybe 50, 70, 100 people, they're going to start another church because the rising generations are finding small churches a better place, particularly people with a non-church background, to be accepted, to grow, to learn, to fit in, to belong, and to grow as disciples of Jesus. And so uh, we already have a lot of small churches in the EPC, and we want to position them well to reach their communities uh, for the gospel because the mission of the EPC is to carry out the great commission of Jesus Christ as Presbyterian, Reformed, Evangelical, and missional churches, and that includes our small church as well. Okay, having said that, let's continue our conversation with Kent Matthews, part two, on this innovative approach to theological education, particularly as it relates to the small church. So Kent, in our previous conversation, uh, this now being part two, you kind of teed up a really intriguing conversation about how this new adaptive approach to equipping people for pastoral ministry, that you're really kind of entrepreneuring, if that's a word, in Heartland School for Ministry would be really beneficial for our rural churches and our smaller churches in particular. And that is one of the major issues that our moderators of the presbyteries in the EPC have raised up to me is that we have a crisis coming and that we don't have the resources or even a plan for how we're going to continue to support these churches with effective pastoral ministry going forward. So I want to dig down deep on that particular conversation here in part two, because I think it's seminal, not only to the EPC, but I think you know the average church in the United States is, what, under 100 members. And so this is not just the EPC. This is a Western church phenomenon. So talk to us about how this adaptive approach for um, education can serve the rural and small church. Let me begin by saying that we as a school and the EPC as a partner are developing an innovative online class that's going to be called as a working title, How to and Why Pastor a Rural Church. So we're developing a series of what we call master classes. The master class concept comes under the pipeline subcommittee of the MVC to be boring, but um, it's trying to figure out how to get people in the pipeline into rural communities. 
So this course will be taught by an EPC pastor primarily, who is a very successful rural EPC pastor who understands the whole idea of what are the benefits of being in a rural church, what are the blessings and joys of rural pastoring, being part of the community and the generational lives of ranchers and farmers, and how to succeed in that context. So it paints not only a picture of how to succeed in it, but why would you even want to do this and what are the blessings? Okay, that class is going to be made available free on YouTube. So the theory is you do 15 one-hour classes, which would be basically the minimum requirement for a seminary class. They're going to be on a channel for further master classes. If you type in on YouTube, like Rural Church, you're going to find these videos. You might get number two, you might get number eight, you might get number 15 up first, whatever one comes up first. And then there will be a communication there that there's 15 more of these and that if you want to, you can take this for seminary credit. You just have to do all of the videos and then you make contact with the school and you can get credit for it. We're going to do this for free. You don't pay any tuition for this class. Anybody in any seminary anywhere in the country can take a three-credit unit accredited master's level class on how and why to pastor a rural church. Now, the other plan is that eventually we'll do uh, things I didn't learn in seminary part one, things I didn't learn in seminary part two. And in that will be things like how to read a financial statement, because the first time somebody who's never been in business sits in on a a finance meeting at a church, they have no idea what to do with a financial statement. I will tell you my first uh, finance meeting at the first church that I served, I didn't realize there were other tabs on the spreadsheet and I just thought the front page was it. So there was more detail. I had no idea. We all know there's things they didn't teach in seminary. And the truth is, we don't want to seminary to teach us that because we don't want to pay $150,000 for the degree and we don't want a 150 credit unit degree. So it needs to be provided some other way. And this is where the criticism, by the way, on this should be. Not at seminaries because they didn't teach us that. But why isn't somebody else taking up the responsibility of doing that? And I think the EPC, I hope it will slowly be partnering in doing that. Okay. Well, and there's other things too, right? I mean, leadership in a rural church is very different because we have small churches that are urban, suburban, and rural. So, and their contexts can be very, very different. But the leadership of a rural small church is completely different. Yeah. than the leadership of, say, I mean, my first church was a rural small church. Right. My second church was a medium-sized suburban church. And, I mean, the cultures between the two of them yeah. couldn't have been more opposite. One was principally pastoral, and the other was principally programmatic. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and to make the adjustment or to assume that one style of leadership fits all. Yeah. Um, so are you guys thinking about classes in the rural for the rural churches on leadership as well? Yeah, uh, but, again, this is all developmental. I mean, it's not... It didn't come like Athena out of Zeus's head. I mean, it's like it's in process right now. But you realize uh, Athena didn't actually come out of Zeus's head, right? You know, that's just that's myth. <laughs> I mean, I, sh- I mean, what you're working on is actual reality. It's a metaphor. Okay, you, okay. <laughs> just want to make sure you understood that. No, I appreciate the clarification. So uh, like, let's let's say in our presbytery, what we have told smaller churches is, let's do this. And I don't just tell them to do it. As ministerial committee chair, I help them do this. We identify all of the seminaries that are in proximity to that location. We identify all of the universities that are in proximity to that. And we figure out a way to go to their career board and say, if you would like to finish your seminary education while pastoring and living in a rural community, this church would love to have you talk to them. Now, it becomes more expensive to pay for a 18 to 22 credit class 
expense. So some of them transfer to the Heartland Seminary where they only $500. But that's not mandated by us. Second thing is you can find, like Kansas University in our area or Nebraska University in our area, and even South Dakota State in our area, they have campus ministries. And if the campus ministry is aware that there is a particularly gifted graduating senior who understands that they don't have all the maturity of an 80-year-old farmer, but they're willing to go get their degree and learn humbly how to love people, visit people, preach sermons. And the rural church is the most accepting people on the face of the earth. I mean, I cannot yeah. believe what it's like to be in those communities. It's like, we're just so glad you're here. So they partner with the young person in developing their skills and abilities while they're taking their degree. And in two cases now, this has proven to be a real success for us in our presbytery. And the church just cannot believe how blessed they are. And the young person, you have to be the right person to go there. If you're the kind of person from the outset is itching, I've got to build my own mega church and have my name up in lights, then you shouldn't be in this context. But the interesting thing, Kent, is that the trending right now is toward more smaller churches rather than fewer bigger churches. Yeah. Like the, I'm not saying there aren't people always attracted to the large church and the resources and the equipping and the programming. But, but even in the church planning movement, a lot of the church planners, they're looking at how can I plan a church that's 50, 60, 70 people? And as soon as I hit a threshold of around 70, they're looking to plan another one. Yeah. I mean, they're not looking for the hundreds and hundreds of people church. They're yeah. looking for smaller communities because yeah. it seems to be that the next generation is looking for greater community relational connection. And so in some ways, our small churches, if we could figure out how to help resource them, right. they're ideally equipped to kind of meet the needs of where things are going. Agreed. So the church is open to this. We find students or continuing students that are interested in this. Then what we do is we find a agreeable, successful rural church pastor sometime and in rural communities it's like within an hour that's willing to take you under their wing so that person becomes your mentor and they're not in competition with each other so you find somebody who's maybe 40 50 60 year old 60 years old who's a successful rural pastor who would love to help another younger pastor succeed in the rural community so that's uh, how we deal with the mentoring component of it and then this is where the commissioned pastor idea of the EPC comes in. So you are in a small church, you're not a pastor, but you can become a commissioned pastor in a small rural church. I think originally this concept perhaps was designed for older, smaller, declining churches, but it's perfect for rural churches because you can become a member of the church, you can be elected on the board of elders, and you can receive the authority necessary to pastor humbly in that context by being a commissioned pastor. I wish that we could be more supportive of this idea or advertising of this idea in the denomination because we could expand our impact in rural communities even by planting rural churches with commission pastors rather than the way we currently do it is that we have declining rural churches that are desperate for a pastor so we can't send them what we think is a real pastor an MDiv pastor, so maybe we'll come up with a commission pastor. Wouldn't it be exciting if it was like, I, I just want to be a commission pastor in a rural church, or I'm happy to start as a commission pastor in a rural church and then see where God takes me from that. So that's another thing that's innovative and positive about that. Well, and I think for anybody who came to our 41st General Assembly, they saw Glenn Myers, who is a commission pastor 
of a small town, small church, who was exceptional in every way in his leadership. He's bivocational, and he's a commissioned pastor. And you see a model there of someone who is uh, hugely successful and faithful in terms of all the things that matter according to to the Lord. And I'd like to think that we could have the discussions that would open us up to how do we look at all kind of options on the table? Or the, the, the Kenyan church, when it exploded, went to a parish model. Mm-hmm. Do we need to do the old Methodist horse and rider mm-hmm. circuit kind of approach? Do we mm-hmm. need to look at bivocational? Do we need to look at commission pastors? How do we maybe even continue to adapt our SEEP program for exceptional candidates to create more and more pathways for people, particularly in under-resourced communities, to find access to do things like this? And that's the problem with the rural church is it's not just a, a problem of resources, but it's, they're remote, right? So they're not close to a brick-and-mortar uh, seminary for the most part. And so access to resources from that distance is, is challenging. And yet the opportunities there uh, for mature, growing pastors. I mean, I, I am so grateful, Kent, to the time I spent at the Climber Church. Right. And I will tell you, nobody was smart enough to figure it out. I certainly wasn't. But a, a neighboring pastor of a slightly larger church at a slightly larger town down the road, Bruce Shannon, came and poured his life into me. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. he, I watched him lead session meetings, and then he watched me lead session meetings. Right. And then he told me what I was doing wrong. <laughs> and, right. you know, the things I learned at that church under Bruce's tutelage um, I've carried with me for 36 years. And yeah. so I would love, personally, I would love every pastor to have the experience yeah. of learning in that kind of setting because you learn pastoral care, you learn preaching. Um, I mean, I think of a lot of our associate pastors, for example, who go into a larger church, they get to preach, what, four times a year, something like that. And you're in a small church, you get to preach every week yeah. and you learn your craft yeah. in terms of that. So a, a I think you and I are singing yeah. out of the same hymn book. It's probably the red hymn book, but we're probably singing out of the same hymn book. And I just appreciate all that you're doing to help General Assembly, the Ministry of Vocation Committee, your presbytery, not only think about these things, but kind of innovate and, and be entrepreneurial and trying to explore these things so that we can get after the mission of the EPC, which is to carry out Thank you. the great commission of Jesus Christ. Can I make one further comment? Absolutely. The SEEP option has become increasingly popular in presbyteries. There's a variety of people that are perfectly happy to get their ordination without the degree, but just be considered an MDiv equivalent. And some of those people are people who have credits from seminary A, seminary B, seminary C, but they don't have enough critical mass to have a degree granting seminary give them a degree. Or their credits are over a 10-year period and under ATS rules, then after 10 years, your credits go away or a whole variety of other things. One of the things that Heartland Seminary is able to do through our accrediting agency, it's an international accrediting agency, is that I'm able to piece most of that together, and the way we're able to do it is to offer them actually an MDiv at the end of the seat process. So most people think, well, we go through the seat process because I don't need, I'm not going to get the degree or I don't want the degree, but in almost all cases, I can work with them in such a way that they actually get the degree at the end of the seat program. So that's something that needs to be better communicated by the MVC to seat candidates is that maybe you have to take one class more, or maybe we have to look at it slightly differently. But in most cases, through the Heartland accreditation program, they can actually end up with their MDiv. 
And I would love to see um, any stigma attached to the seat. I'd love to see that done away with because truth be told, my good friend Rufus Smith came through the seat program and he is the senior pastor of our denomination's largest church. Right. In fact, I believe it's the largest Presbyterian church in the United States it of is, America. Yeah. And he was a seat guy. So it, it, to any idea that it's not legitimate is just not true. Yeah. It, that standards are high. The quality is good. And the proof is, is yeah. right there at Hope Church in Memphis if you want to go see it for yourself. Yeah. Well, thank you. And how would, uh, just in closing, Kent, how would people learn more about Heartland Seminary? How would they get in touch with, with you? It's described partially on the epc.org website where actually you would access one-third of our courses. Okay. One-third of our courses were developed with me through Gordon Conwell seven years ago, and they're now housed on the EPC website. So that's And that's one just place. simply epc.org. Correct. Under how we do it for pastors, and uh, we could pull it down from there. Right. And then the other is that Heartland is hsmkc.org, has its own website, which explains our live Master of Arts program in Applied Theology, and then our online MDiv program, which meets all of the EPC ordination requirements. Okay, terrific. Well, thanks, man. Appreciate you coming in. It's been a gift to uh, have a conversation that was so rich and robust go from one podcast into two. So thank you for your time, man. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Well, my friends, let's wrap up this time again with the good word from God's word. And we turn our minds again toward a realization that, as Abraham Kuyper has once said, there is not one square inch of the creation where the sovereign does not look and declare mine. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and my friends, in him, that is in Jesus Christ, all things, and we mean all things, are held together. For you see, he is the head of the body, the church. That is our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. And until the next time, when we gather around the table for such a conversation, I bid grace and peace to you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.